The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on Mitchell's Front Page, On the Road with Toby Hagan. Morning, Toby. How are you? Morning, Mitchell. Good, thanks. Well, first of all, just a question from a listener. They were asking about Honda dealerships. I'm assuming they own a Honda, and they said they'd heard rumours about Honda dealerships closing us across Australia. I don't know if that was all or some, but uh, in motor journalist land, have you heard anything about Honda dealerships? Yeah, absolutely. Honda is um, Honda's taken on a different business model in Australia. So instead of having your regular dealerships, which um, the way the model, I guess, has worked to date is that a dealership buys a car off head office, um, that dealership then retails the car to the customer. The way Honda's doing things now, they've changed it to, um, uh, to, to a different model where effectively you're only dealing with head office. So they call it an agency model. So they still have agents rather than dealers. Um, you can go into those agents that look a lot like dealerships, um, but they will not negotiate on price. Uh, the price is fixed. The price is what you see online, uh, and that's it. So basically, you're purchasing the car off head office. Now, some people might think, well, that seems a bit strange. Um, why would they bother with that? I mean, there's already models like that in the in the world and in the country. Tesla, for example, you're buying the car off Tesla head office, and their, their prices are non-negotiable as well. And Honda's not going to be alone. Um, Mercedes-Benz is taking on a similar sort of model um, mid-next year, so they're going to, uh, going to head down a similar path as well. What it's meant for the dealer network uh, with Honda is that they've, they've, some of the traditional dealers have left. There are still some of what were Honda dealerships around, but as I said, you deal with them quite differently once you're in the dealership. Uh, and um, uh, But there are fewer of the sort of, I guess, big traditional dealerships. Instead, they've sort of got um, some other service centres, some other areas that, are, um, that showcase just some of the cars. But uh, there will be fewer dealerships or fewer Honda, out, uh, fewer Honda big outlets out there. And... Um, and the other thing is they're going to be fewer sales. So Honda said, yeah, we, we're cutting back on sales. I've actually cut back on some of the cars as well. So the Jazz, for example, the little hatchback, that's not available anymore. They are pairing the range back. Um, but the idea is to make uh, more money out of fewer cars. So it's um, so it's quite an interesting model. But um, whether it works longer term, I'm sure there'll be plenty of brands looking at this to say, well, hey, if this is a, a way to do things, instead of trying to... Uh, trying to keep the numbers up, the sales numbers up, and sometimes having to effectively buy those sales or discount the cars significantly, they can obviously do it quite differently uh, along these lines. And do you think there'll be any issues for people perhaps seeking, I don't know, a warranty uh, issue to be resolved or whether there's a recall or even just regular servicing, or will they receive the same level of service fundamentally? No, I think that that side would be fine. I, I don't think there'll be the slightest issue with that. I think, um, uh, you know, when you look at uh, – they've got sort of – it's close on – I think it's 90-something outlets around the country. So you've still got plenty of representation in terms of Honda representation. Certainly service and warranty, I don't think it'll be the slightest issue. I think it'll be exactly as it has been in the last few years. Um, but as I said, finding the big swanky showroom, that'll be, be tougher and certainly uh, finding a discount, you won't be doing that. It'll be uh, – you look at the price online and that is the price. Now, speaking of prices, what's happening over at BMW with its i4? Well, BMW, the i4 is a very significant car for BMW. So anyone who knows their BMWs knows that the i sub-brand denotes electric. So they previously had the i3 and the i8. Um, the i4 is really heading into the heartland of BMW. So this is uh, similar size and sort of 
vague shape of a three series, and the three series is, um, you know, pretty much the beating heart of BMW. I mean, it's their mid-sized uh, sports sedan, and that's what the BMW i4 is trying to be. Uh, they've announced the pricing on it. Not exactly cheap. It's going to start at a bit over $100,000 once you drive it out of the dealership. Uh, but in some ways, it's going to try and tackle the Tesla market, Tesla Model 3, and to some extent, Tesla Model S, the larger Tesla. Um, this car's got some pretty serious performance, particularly if you get the M50 model, which is the top of the range one. So that one um, uh, is actually going to out-accelerate uh, the M4 and the M3. It will be basically the same acceleration as an M4 and M3, and you're going to be able to get in one for about $135,000, so significantly cheaper than those. But as I said, the whole thing here is trying to, uh, rather than trying to do some sort of science experiment, which the BMW i3 to some extent was a little bit out there in terms of uh, its design and so on and its basic construction, this car is a lot more normal. It's a lot more BMW-like, and uh, it's certainly going to, I think, shake up the electric car market and try to uh, steal some of those luxury car sales that... Um, for a fair chunk now, being owned to Tesla. Now, the Tesla supercharger network, they're looking at opening that up to all electric vehicles. Can you use a Tesla charger on any electric vehicle, or do you need some sort of power adapter like charging a phone? No, you don't need an adapter. The actual plugs, the Tesla super, uh, the Tesla plugs, so any Tesla charger will plug into a regular electric car, but it has to do a digital handshake to confirm that car is a Tesla before it will allow the electricity to flow. So um, so effectively, they don't work with, it, with, it, with cars other than Tesla. So you've got to have a Tesla to use the uh, particular the supercharger network. But Tesla boss, uh, Elon Musk, has come out and said that, um, that he's making the supercharger network open to other EVs later this year, which this is a very significant move for Tesla because they have spent uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, building up this supercharger network around the world to try and have... Um, uh, I guess a bespoke network, and I guess it was a, a horse and cart thing in a way. I mean, they were bringing out electric cars. There were very few places to charge them. So Tesla said, we'll solve that problem as well. We'll put in a charging network. And they did it very cleverly. They put them in uh, in some good good spots. In Australia, there are 42 locations that have um, Tesla supercharger networks, or Tesla superchargers, sorry, around the country. They're predominantly on uh, main, uh, main open road routes. So, for example, between Sydney and Melbourne, you've got some uh, on those big sort of road networks where you're going to need some fast charging when you're out on the road. But the significance here is, as I said, Tesla's built up this network and part of the appeal for Tesla owners was, wow, we've got our own charging network. You often roll up there and it's uh, it's fairly easy to charge. They certainly do it um, a lot easier than some of the other charging networks. But um, the challenge there is that uh, is that they're now going to open it up to everyone. So there's certainly concern there from some of the Tesla owners. There's some, some chat sites saying, well, I hope this doesn't take away from part of the reason I bought the car. But um, at the same time, I guess it's a way for Tesla to potentially make some money to sell some electricity and uh, and try and monetize those stations a little bit more. How does it work from a pricing point of view? So you say you've got the digital handshake. Do you have to tap your credit card on the machine before it lets you start to charge? Or as part of that handshake, does it check if you've got a subscription? Uh, sort of. So it's, it's all done without you sort of knowing what's going on. So basically, Tesla's here are very smart too in the way they do it. So you don't actually need a key or anything. It's all done with your phone. So provided your phone is in the car when you plug or on you when you plug the car into the, the charging network, it does 
all the background thinking and says, okay, I can see that uh, that person's phone or digital key is plugging plugging into recharge, therefore I'll, uh, I'll bill it to there. So they basically bill it straight to your account. You've already got your credit card details and everything in there and uh, it all gets done without you knowing. So that's one of the things, as I'm saying, with this simplicity, they do it all very well so you don't have to think about it. It's almost a bit like Apple in the tech space. Um, they're one step ahead of the competition in terms of uh, making it very user-friendly. So, so that's something that's worked extremely well and that's one of the questions that's come up in terms of opening this up to non-Tesla owners. How are they going to start billing people how are they going to do it i guess we'll learn that over the next uh next few months but um be interesting to watch and last of all you've been driving the ford everest base camp your thoughts yeah the base camp so the everest i guess is is you know ford's large suv tries to take on the uh the toyota prado the prado is still the king in terms of outright sales but tesla is certainly uh, sorry ford has certainly been catching up in terms of the uh, uh the sales numbers they're selling reasonable numbers that, that everest but the interesting thing with this base camp model is uh, they've effectively turned to the aftermarket to try and add some features onto that car that uh, that make it more appealing for people who do want to adventure, who do want to go off-road um, and do want to get out and about. And So things like a snorkel, for example, um, an LED light bar at the front, uh, a uh, an awning so that pops out from the roof and quite a chunky roof rack on top. So it's designed for people who are going to go camping, who are going to go adventuring, who want that extra storage, who want that extra function, and the extra capability in their car. Um, so a lot of those extra bits and bobs, um, I mean, you can turn to the aftermarket today and go and buy those, but Ford sort of packaged them up in one car. And the advantage from a customer perspective with that is that you've got um, uh, you've got a five-year warranty. So typically these accessories have maybe a one, two or three-year warranty, but you get the same warranty as you do on the car. So a five-year warranty on those accessories. Uh, not super cheap. I mean, it's got leather seats and so on, and it's a, it's a single model. They're only doing 450 of them to start with. But you're looking at about $68,000, $69,000. But uh, as I said, a fair bit in there. And if you are going to go adventuring, it's probably not a bad bet. I'm just looking at photos of it now where it's holding boats out of the water and all that sort of thing. Do you get the opportunity yeah. to take these cars off-road when you test them or are you just testing it around the city? No, typically I do, yeah. I mean, at the moment we're a little bit locked down, so, yes. so it's a little bit tricky to get out and about. But certainly I, I would normally go and do that sort of thing, and um, and this is the perfect car for that, obviously. Uh, but as I said, it's, if you're just going to use it as a round town um, uh, I guess, you know, pick up the kids and so on, do the shopping, you wouldn't even bother with this base camp model. It, it's really if you're going to do some off-roading, and the Everest generally is a very competent off-roader. It's it's designed for serious off-road work. I mean, it goes where a total Land Cruiser and so on can. So, um, and, and it's, as I said, it steps that up a bit with those extra features. So so that's the sort of thing you've got to be doing to try and benefit from it, But um, but if you are, it's certainly a decent pack. Well, thanks for being on the program as always, and uh, we'll talk to you again in two weeks' time. Sounds good. Thanks, Mitchell. Toby Hagen there, the editor of evcentral.com.au. And if you have a listener question for Toby about your car or um, whether your car's makers, dealers are closing down or something like that, just send us an email, feedback at mitchellsfrontpage.com. The Mitchell's Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.